0: Romans chapter 15, and we are going to look at the text that was just read, beginning in verse number 8 through, through verse 21. And I want to speak to you this morning on, on this subject, three unchanging foundational principles for modern missions. Three unchanging foundational principles for modern missions. Someone has said that the missions conference, we're having a missions emphasis weekend, that the missions conference is the business meeting where the church decides if they believe that people without Christ are worth saving. Missions is the church choosing whether or not to engage in the rescue of people who are, in fact, modern-day slaves, languishing in the dark chains of sin, men and women and children who have all of their entire existence and perhaps for generations have been in bondage to Satan all their lives with no hope, without God in the world. My purpose in this message is to lay out for us a theological foundation for missions and to show you why you ought to be, why you must be, why you should take part in what God is doing through Lakeshore Baptist Church. I want to attempt to show you from Scripture why we should rearrange our priorities to participate in what God is doing, this work that will impact the nations for the glory of God for all eternity. As we come into chapter number 15, Paul is is in the section of this letter where he is making application to the great doctrine that he has articulated uh, for the first 11 or 12 chapters. In fact, the theme of this letter to these Roman, these Gentile Roman Christians in the city of Rome is justification by faith. Often referred in this letter, he will reference uh, justification or he will reference the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus. Justification, to, to be declared righteous by God through the finished crosswork of his son Jesus Christ apart from any merit of your own apart from any effort of your own that God in his sovereignty and in his love and in his grace would simply look upon you with favor and would declare you to be righteous in God in through Jesus uh, in response to Your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. What marvelous grace. We could sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. This whole letter, in fact, um, is wrapped up in this theme of justification. In chapters 1 through 3, the apostle lays out an argument as to why people need it. Why do people the world over need to be justified by faith? And of course, he answers that in the first three chapters with, with, with this, with this um, undeniable statement that, that they must be justified, they need to be justified by faith because they are under the divine wrath of a holy God. And chapters 4 and 5, he then explains how to get it. How do we acquire this justification, this righteousness through Christ before God the Father. And he explains in chapter 4 and, verse, and chapter 5 that we receive this justification through faith in Jesus Christ. Chapters 6 through 8, he describes the change that happens in the life of a person, a man, a woman, a young person who has placed their faith in Jesus and has been declared righteous by God. The change that takes place because of justification by faith. And then in chapters 9 through 11, Paul is very clear in the fact that God is sovereign in it and that man is responsible to receive it, and this divine tension that you find throughout Scripture between the divine sovereignty of God and the human responsibility, the the responsibility of man to respond in faith. And then we come to this section in which we find our text, chapters 12 through 16. And here in these closing chapters, of this letter, Paul is explaining and arguing and describing how you are to live after you have been justified by faith. And we're right in the middle of that section in chapter number 15. Today, as we gather in this auditorium Missiologists tell us that there are at least 2.5 billion people alive on the planet, the most in the history of the world, who have never heard of Jesus Christ. People who live in cultures and communities where there is no gospel preaching church. It is estimated that encompasses roughly 40% of, of the earth's population today live in communities where there is no gospel-preaching church of any kind. On our continent in Africa, there are 987 identified unreached groups of people. Estimated population amongst these unreached peoples, 380 million. Literally 30% of African people on our continent live amongst peoples who are yet to be reached with the gospel. And so what we have read in chapter 15 is, is very, very important to us this morning. It's very important because Paul is seeking to shape our understanding and to direct our thinking so that we will live out and live in a manner worthy of the gospel that we have received. This is the application. This is the, this is the real life Uh, 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 engagement as a result of the fact that you and I have been made righteous through faith in Jesus. So I want you to listen carefully as we walk through the text that was read to us just a moment ago. I believe that, that we will see this morning three big ideas that I pray we will not only understand this morning, but that we will personally embrace And I would suggest that failure to understand and embrace these truths will result in a failure to obey God. In our text, Paul sets out three missions truths that you and I must believe and embrace if we are to reach our generation with the gospel. Romans chapter 15, look at verses 8 through 12 again. Paul says to these Roman Christians, this church in Rome, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. We know that there he's referring to the the Hebrews, the Jewish race, the promised uh, nation through which Messiah came, the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of those glorious promises of the coming Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus, this, this servant. But not only did, was Christ given to fulfill those promises to the, to the Jews and to the patriarchs, but verse 9, and in order that, the Gentiles. Now who are the Gentiles? That, that's everybody else. If you are not... A Jew here this morning, you are part of the everybody else, the Gentiles. So not only was Christ, did Christ become a servant to the Jews in order that God's truthfulness and promises would be confirmed to the nation of Israel, but also in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he reaches back into the Old Testament and he goes back to the Psalms and Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Samuel and, and he, he draws out these promises, these truths to prove the point that he is, that he is making. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Quotation from Psalm 18 verse 49. Again it is said in Deuteronomy 32 43. Rejoice O Gentiles with his people. And again in Psalm 117 1. Praise the Lord all you Gentiles and let all the peoples extol him. And Isaiah 11 1. The root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles and in him will the Gentiles hope. You see This was God's eternal plan from eternity past. That through his people, the Israelites, that he would reveal and bring a Messiah through which the Gentiles would be justified and the mercy of God would be put on display and that God would be eternally glorified. So I want you to notice, please, in these opening verses of our, of our text, in verses 8 through 12, here, I'm going to give you three principles. Here's the first one, all right? Verses 8 through 12. So see, if you, see if you see it here in these verses that we just read. Principle number one, three unchanging foundational principles for modern missions. Number one, the mission is unchanged. Do you see that? That, that? that from the beginning of time, God purposed in Christ to redeem mankind unto himself, that this being justified by faith in Jesus was not only for the Jews in the Old Testament, but it was also from eternity past intended to incorporate all of the nations, including the Gentiles, So that in eternity future around the throne of God, Revelation chapter 5, that all peoples from every tribe and tongue and nation would gather around the throne of the Lamb to glorify Him throughout all eternity for His redemption and for their justification. This mission is unchanged throughout history. We are all called to be on mission. But do we understand what that is? And notice in these, in these verses there are two um, verse 8-12, through 12, there, there are two truths that I, that I, that I want to point out here. Note, notice truth number one verse 8 and 9 that this mission begins with God. Do you see it? So, Van Rinen defines mission this way. What is the mission? It is the work of God in reconciling sinful human beings unto himself. That's That's the mission. John would write in 1 John chapter uh, number number 4 and verse number 10. He says, This "In, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Titus 3, 4 and 5, again, this theme, this mission. Originated with God the Father, we find that that Christ became the servant servant to the circumcised for what purpose? To show God's truthfulness, and verse nine that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. So this work of God in reconciling sinful human beings unto Himself, this mission originated in the mind of God the Father in eternity past. Secondly, Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time, came to enact the mission. This mission of God centers upon Jesus Christ. And you see that again in verse, verse 8 and 9. I tell you, Christ became the servant, right? It was Christ who came in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his, for his mercy. So the mission originated with God the Father. Jesus Christ enacted the mission. We know from Acts 1.8 that the Holy Spirit gives power to the mission. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses, right? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost, to the ends of the earth. So it originated with the Father. It was enacted by the Son. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But then we're, we find, beginning in Acts 13, and, and this really is his challenge to these Roman Christians, is that the church carries out the mission. And that's why we've assembled here for this weekend of, of thinking again about these glorious truths of the mission of God. Because it is God's purpose from eternity past to fulfill in this generation his mission through the church. Lakeshore Baptist Church. The church carries out the mission. In fact, you see that in the Great Commission, right? The the whole idea of baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is an ordinance of the local church. And then the world is the recipient or receives the mission of God. Now, now I, I think, I think it's, it's important for us to recognize that because the mission is God's mission, you and I have absolutely no right to redefine it, to change it, or to modify it in any way. In other words, this is God's mission, not our mission. It's our mission in the fact that he commissions us to obey him and to carry it out. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit to carry out that mission, but the mission belongs to God. You have no right to call things missions that God doesn't call missions. You know, Muslim charities, Muslim charities feed hungry people around the world. You know that, right? You do know that, right? I mean, I live in in Zambia where Muslim charities are very active in villages, giving clothes and food to people, providing education, primary schools, Digging wells. I have met atheists in Zambia. I've met them. I've, I've talked with them at, at restaurants that come from American uh, non government organizations to dig wells and provide clean water in Zambia. And I laud those things. That's wonderful. I'm glad for all of that. But these people who come are actual atheists, they don't even believe there's a God. So just because you go out of a church and go dig a well in some village somewhere on the other side of the world, that by itself is not missions. You have no right. I have no right to redefine or change the mission of God. Now you say, can, can you be involved in a lot of these other humanitarian and, 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 and other things for the sake of the gospel? Well, certainly you can, if you have the mission right. If the mission is clear, yes, you can do some of those things. But they do not constitute the mission itself. So what is Missions the plan of committed believers to accomplish the mission of God. And that plan, amongst whatever else it may be, that plan centers upon the verbal proclamation of the gospel. The verbal proclamation of the gospel. And everything else that happens serves this purpose. It is through the verbal proclamation of the gospel that men and women are justified by faith. And it is through the verbal proclamation of that gospel that those who have believed in Jesus grow in their faith to become, to become healthy, reproducing disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, we must, therefore, see a difference between ministries of mercy and the mission of the church. Ministries of mercy demonstrate the love of God and may open opportunities for the gospel. However, ministries of compassion alone do not save the lost. So the first truth is the mission begins with God. Number 2, the mission extends to all people. Do you see that? We've already kind of emphasized that in verses 9 through 12. I will praise you among the Gentiles, verse 9. Rejoice, O Gentiles, verse 10. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, verse 11. The root of Jesse will arise to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope, verse 12. So here's the second truth. This mission extends to all people. Listen, someone, someone who knows God must go and tell them about Christ and his sacrifice and live out the gospel in front of them. Right? Wasn't that Paul's words to the Ephesians? Live a life that's worthy of your, of your gospel proclamation. Somebody has to go. Somebody has to tell them. And what happens? New worshipers are birthed. The Gentiles hear of God as they, as they see genuine Christians worshiping him. We see that Psalm 18, verse 49. Unbelievers cannot worship, but they can watch our worship and evaluate the reality of our faith. There may be people here who are are wrestling this morning. They're they're wrestling with with the claims of Jesus, whether or not this whole thing is, is, is true or not. And we just gathered together for a worship service, didn't we? And we, we sang glorious hymns and we read scriptures together. And we're looking at the text together as part of worship. Listen, unbelievers who are here this morning cannot worship God. But I'll tell you one thing they are doing. They're standing there, maybe a little uncomfortable, and they're watching you worship. They're looking at you going, I wonder if, if this is for real. I mean, do these people really believe this stuff? You know, you're, you're there on your cell phone texting instead of singing. Or you're just mumbling. And those unbelievers are watching, right? Right? They're watching us worship, and they're trying to figure out, I don't know if I believe this, but do these people believe this? That's what's happening here. The Gentiles, it says, I will praise you among the Gentiles. What's the first step of of this reaching the unreached? We go amongst them. We tell them of the gospel, and we worship him in spirit and in truth, and they're gathered around us, and they're watching it. They're listening to it. Notice the next thing that happens in verse number 10. They begin to, they believe in Jesus and they begin to, to worship together with the missionary. Gentiles begin to participate with Israel in worship. Deuteronomy 32, 43. And then verse 11 and 12, what do you see? The indigenous worship of God amongst the Gentiles. The Gentiles now as they grow in the Lord in their own right begin to praise the Lord. New believers worship first as they see the missionary worship but as they mature in their faith they develop culturally appropriate expressions of heart worship toward God. That would take care of all of our worship wars if we just believed that. Principle number one. The mission is unchanged, but look at verses 13 through 19. Here's the second principle. The power is unchanged. The power is unchanged for this mission. Look at verse 13. May the the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is this power of the Holy Spirit? This is the inner working of the Holy Spirit within the lives of these new Gentile believers that produces joy, peace, and hope. Do you see it, verse 12 and 13? Now, notice what Paul says in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've just written to you about justification by faith, I've written boldly to remind you because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then I have no reason to be proud of my work for God for if I I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So number one, the power, uh, sorry, number one, the, the mission is unchanged. Number two, the power is unchanged. This power Of God in the gospel radically transforms lives. You see that verse 13, right? The Holy Spirit imparts faith through and in the word of God for these to have hope, to turn from their past life by faith and offer themselves to God for this eternal future and grace. Verse 14 so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Notice in verse 14, he then gives three evidences of this grace, this powerful inner working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these new converts, these Gentiles, these Roman Christians. Notice these evidences of their faith. He says in verse number 14, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, Here are the three evidences of this grace. Notice the first one, beginning of verse 14. Among these formerly unreached people, peoples, new believers, Paul said, I am convinced that you are full of goodness. Do you see it? Verse 14. That you yourself, I'm satisfied, I'm convinced about you, brothers, that you yourself are full of goodness. That word goodness speaks of moral goodness. Goodness or moral excellence wrought by the Holy Spirit of God. Now remember who these people are. These are Roman, pagan, Roman idol worshipers, right? I mean, they have been, just a couple of months ago, they were like full in on the worship of Bacchus, the goddess, god of wine. They were like totally in for Epaphrodites, the goddess of love. Zeus and all, all of these pantheon of gods and they would go to these temples and it was, it was debauchery, the apostle talks about. It was drunkenness and sexual immorality and debauchery all wrapped up in worship of these false gods. And here, Paul is saying, brothers, I am convinced That you are now filled with moral excellence, moral goodness. How did did you change from being an absolute pagan to someone of moral excellence? By the powerful working of the Holy Spirit of God as God the Father justifies them by faith in Jesus. So there's the first evidence. They're full of goodness. Notice the second one. He says in in the second part of of verse 14, not only are these these new believers full of goodness, but notice they're full of knowledge. This word knowledge is a genuine comprehension of the Christian faith. To the Corinthians in chapter 6 and verse 9 of his first letter, Paul wrote this What? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither, and now he's describing the Gentiles. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's verse 11. And such were some of you. Notice what he says. But. That's what you were, Corinthians. These Gentile, pagan, God rejectors. Such were some of you, but you have been washed. You have been sanctified, and here it is. And you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This is the hope of missions. That God in his power will justify them. As we go and boldly proclaim Jesus and preach the gospel that Paul preached, God will work mightily amongst these Gentiles, these unreached peoples in Africa and he will call out for himself a people for his name. So they're full of goodness, they're full of knowledge, but notice the third thing he says. You're able to admonish one another. Do you see it? He says in verse number, end of verse 14, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct each other. These new believers have the Holy Spirit ability to admonish one another. This is to counsel one another from Scripture. This is spiritual maturity. New believers are effectively ministering by the grace of God. And Paul's acknowledging that. So this power radically transforms lives. But notice in verse 16 and 19, this power enables bold, courageous proclamation of the gospel. Again in verse number 16. It says, the, the grace that was given to me by God I've written to you boldly because God gave me the grace, Paul says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering up of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Look at, drop down to verse 16. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, that's like 1,200 miles, I have fully preached the gospel. You see, this power, the power is unchanged. It radically transforms lives, and number two, it enables bold, courageous proclamation of the gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit is manifested in bold witness. Now, I hope you'll stay for this next hour because I want to show you some of that. What God is doing in other places through this bold proclamation of the gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit is manifested by courageous commitment to the Great Commission. And you know, people... People lay down their lives for much lesser causes than the gospel. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, we rightly, I believe, we rightly celebrate when our children joined the Marines, the Army, the Air Force. We're proud of that. We should be. But you do know Army, Air Force, Marines, like, send these boys to places like Afghanistan, right? You do know that. Iraq. Stuff, places like that. Places like where there's bombs and people shoot. You, You do know that, right? But we celebrate it. And we should. I'm all for celebrating it. I think it's a great thing. But let someone stand up and say, give your son and send him to the Sudan. Because there's 30 unreached people groups there. Who are violent? They still carry spears, and we say, "Oh no, it's not safe." I mean, what kind of diseases do you people have in Africa? Do you, you see? you see the? Do you see the problem there? Serve the king of kings who has sovereignly said that I will take care of you and I will send you to the ends of the earth and I will protect you and I will meet your needs. And we're like, no, 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 no. Don't go crazy on this. But don the colors of the United States military and go to Afghanistan. People lay down their life for much lesser causes than the gospel. Is there any greater cause than the gospel? Notice, notice the third principle. The mission is unchanged. The power is unchanged. But notice in verse 19 to 24, the method is unchanged. The method is unchanged. Notice what he, notice what he says in verse Verse 19, again, the power of signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. The method is unchanged. Paul here is speaking about himself. Notice this method. What what is the method that God uses to advance his mission? Number one, God uses people. That's that's who he uses. He just uses people. Verse 24, Paul says, "I I will go to Spain. There's no more room for me in this region, he says in verse number 23. So I hope to see you, verse 24, as I'm passing on my way to go to Spain. That's the next unreached area. That's that's in Paul's day, in his view, the next unreached people group that needs to hear the gospel. God uses people, people like the Apostle Paul. Paul. But notice, not only does God use people, but God uses ordinary people. Like you and me. You see, the God who ordained the means, redemption through Jesus Christ, and the message, salvation through faith in Christ alone, also ordained the method. And that's missionaries or sent ones. Look at verse 16. God has given me the grace, Paul says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see, someone has, someone has said it like this. Whenever God sets about to do a monumental task, he always taps someone on the shoulder and says, I, I want you. I want you. To preserve a godly line in the time of global judgment, God called Noah. God sent an army of bold prophets throughout the Old Testament to call his people back to holiness. When the nation was in exile, God called a young princess by the name of Esther to deliver Israel from a plot to wipe out the Jews. To rally his people and rebuild Jerusalem, God called Nehemiah. To bring the gospel of salvation to a needy world, God enlisted a teenage virgin, a leathery desert-dwelling prophet by the name of John the Baptist, and he conscripted a band of 12 unknown tradesmen. And then to spread that gospel to the ends of the earth, God tapped a zealous Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus, whom he transformed into the Apostle Paul. You see, God is a God who teams up with people, you and me, not because he needs us. But because he chooses to use us, he chooses to fulfill his mission to bring salvation to the lost. He chooses to do that work through us. What grace! And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you be sitting, sitting here thinking right now. Oh no, 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 you don't. Know. No, 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 Buster no, Phil, uh, you, you, God wouldn't want me. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. There's guys in here for sure. Well, you, you don't know me. You don't understand my fears or, or my past failures or my personal inadequacies. Because you, don't, you, don't, you don't know how old I am or how young I am. And if that's what you're thinking right now, you're in good company. Think of the people in Scripture that God used. Moses was a stutterer. David's armor didn't fit. Remember that one? Paul rejected John Mark. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Timothy had ulcers. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses, for that matter. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burnt out. Martha was a worry wart. And Noah got drunk. So if you're sitting here thinking, yes, I'm a child of God, but God would never want to use me on his mission, just look at the kind of people God used again and again and again throughout the Scriptures. You see, God, God's method has not changed. God uses people, he uses ordinary people, and he uses equipped people. And again, we, we see that in verse 16 through 19. these equipped people. It was by God's grace that Paul had been enlisted as a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. That the Gentiles might be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 18, Paul is saying, I'm only going to speak of what Christ has accomplished through me. I have nothing to boast of of myself. Whatever has taken place, it is because Christ, who is on mission to redeem mankind, has performed this work through me. Who, by the way, he would say, I am the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church. God uses people. God uses ordinary people and he uses equipped people. God provides us with his power and his presence. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. God is not dependent upon better methods or more machinery or money. God is looking for a man who will present him in this present world, will represent him in this present world a man through whom he will enact his plan. The man is the plan. It's not, it's not trying to come up with new and better mission strategies. And we ought to plan, don't get me wrong, but, but, but it's not about the strategy. It's about the man who is wholly consecrated to God through whom the Holy Spirit works for his glory. You see, God calls and the church sends missionaries to lay foundations. That's really what missions is. Gospel foundations. Missions lays the foundations for healthy reproducing churches. This was was Paul's, Paul's statement in verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel that he sent me to do. I've laid the foundation for healthy, reproducing churches. Now, those churches need to evangelize their regions. And my task is to go to the next unreached area, and that's Spain. You see, churches with trained leaders are left to build upon the foundation and reach out to the unreached around them. This is what Paul did. He preached in the strategic centers throughout the region from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. It's about 1,400 miles and he established churches all through that region. Now he presses on leaving those churches who he is convinced and satisfied that they are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. three unchanging foundational principles for modern missions. Did you get them? The mission is unchanged. The power for that mission is unchanged. And the method is unchanged. I want to ask two questions as I conclude this morning. Have you responded to the gospel by believing? Have you been justified? Have you been pronounced righteous by God because you have put your faith in the finished work of Jesus upon the cross? Have you been justified by faith? Have you responded to the gospel by believing? If you haven't, Please respond now. And if you say, Pastor Phil, yes, I have. You know, it was last year, it was 20 years ago, it was 30 years ago, whenever it was. I responded to the gospel. I have, I have been declared righteous before God because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, I have responded to the gospel by believing. Okay, here's my question then for you. Have you then responded to the gospel by obeying? Will you this morning present yourself to God and ask him to reveal where he wants you to engage in his mission? Starting right here at LBC. Have you responded to the gospel by believing? Have you responded to the gospel by obeying? Friends, the church is not a cruise ship designed to bring you comfortably and safely to heaven. It is a battleship designed to storm the gates of hell to deliver those who have all their lives been in bondage to sin and to Satan. This is our mission. And it hasn't changed. Nor will it change until he comes and gathers us home. Father... I pray that each of us would, before your loving, kind gaze, that each of us would evaluate our relationship to you. Have we believed this gospel? Have we received Jesus in all his glory? to be saved, to be delivered, to be forgiven eternally, to be declared righteous for those that have not. Oh God, would today your Holy Spirit's convicting power do a work in this brother or this sister, this friend, this man, this woman, this young person, the same kind of work you did in these Roman Gentile who are now Christians that we just read about help us dear God before your kind loving sovereign gaze to evaluate our obedience are we on mission right where we are and are we laboring for the extension of your kingdom to the ends of the earth Help us not to view your church as a luxury liner designed to make me happy, comfortable, meet all my needs. Help us to recognize that your church is a a battleship and we are sent on a rescue mission against the forces of darkness and hell. May we be faithful May we experience the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, Phil, for that.